What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you haven't checked it out already, there are hundreds of videos and a ton of great content waiting just for you. And the cool part, it's all updated weekly. Check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. Today we have on Jamie Carroll, defensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Jamie grew up in Evansville, Indiana and graduated from the University of Evansville. And after earning all American honors at shortstop, he was drafted in the 14th round by the Montreal Expos. Jamie made his major league debut in 2002. And in 2004, he scored the Expos final run in their history before moving to Washington, DC. Besides playing with the Expos and Nationals franchise, Jamie also played for the Rockies, Indians, Dodgers, Twins, and Royals franchises. Jamie retired and got right into coaching in 2015 as a Pirates front office assistant. So on the show, we discuss what his role with being a defensive coordinator entails. We go over how coaching has changed since he played and what he has implemented. And Jamie also coaches his son's 13U team so we have discussions about the big leagues all the way down to youth baseball. Jamie also provides us a ton of drills that we can take to practice tomorrow. Here is Jamie Carroll. Jamie, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to Definitely. be here. <laughs> Definitely. So I'm, I'm excited to talk some baseball with you today, and I know you've been at, at the soccer field all weekend, and, and we've been back and forth on when we, we, we can schedule this, but... I'm ex, uh, excited to dig in, uh, but I really, I'm really curious about what your job looks like on a day-to-day basis. So do you mind walking through just maybe even a typical week of what all you would be doing, what you would be, who you would be seeing, what you would be working on, and we'll just kind of roll from there. Sure. I think, um, you know, as the defensive coordinator uh, for the Pirates in, in, a, in a normal season, um, I'm usually traveling in and, and seeing one of our affiliates for anywhere from three to five days to get a, get a good feel on, you know, how we're doing defensively. Um, but let's say I'm getting ready to go in somewhere. I will, you know, connect with the staff before as any, anything in particular that, um, maybe having some issues that I can help support them on when I get there. Um, or, I'm usually tracking a team and following them pretty closely uh, with, you know, the infielders on, you know, how they're doing, if they're showing any trends of anything or anything has popped up in any certain games. Um, Usually I spend the morning watching every ground ball that our organization from top to bottom had for that night. And just so I feel that I'm kind of connected in a way that I'm seeing what's what's happening, if there's video available. And so I can get an idea of what maybe I'm walking into, into a certain place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if I head in, I, you know, I meet with the coaches to find out, uh, you know, what it is I can do that I can help um, support them. We really want the coaches because they're there. They're, they're the eyes, you know, every single day for um, the player. And the last thing we want is all of a sudden the coordinator to come in and kind of just, move everything out of the way and starting to make things happen. If anything, I'm there to support, listen to the player, support the player, support the coaches and, and just give my lens on maybe somebody's having a backhand issue and we can figure out maybe a different way to train it or 
um, or just keep progressing through what they've been training. So, um, but it's a lot of connecting and watching and following and, and just understanding maybe how we're, we're going about our work to, you know, maybe learn something or, or get better at something. And that's in season, uh, once we get going, but prior to like right now, it's, it's more of getting an idea of player plans together for coaches on a certain roster. And so the coaches, when they start to really dig into their teams, they have a, you know, a foundational start of, you know, what may be a shortstop, uh, that, that we have in an organization at a particular level is, is needing, needing to work on or to improve or even, um, what to build on from where we were last year. So that's kind of the progress right now. And, um, yeah, kind of just kind of take it as, as we come, if there's issues with team defense, then, you know, we have that, or if there's things that we implement, I will, uh, you know, get that call from the big leagues and, and then implement a certain way we may change up a cutoff and relay or add in a bunt defense. And um, there's a lot going on now with shifting and shift cards. And so just making sure that we're all on the same page from top to bottom um, in the organization. So when guys move from level to level, uh, it's already hard enough to move from level to level, but if we can alleviate something, um, that makes that transition a little smoother form. We, we try to find it. I love that. And so one of the things that I thought was, was interesting is just thinking about all the, all the different positions that, that you've seen, uh, that have grown. Cause it's no longer like shortstop. You hate, you just, you go stand over there. <laughs> so I think you were, were you done playing whenever everything started to get crazy with the shifts or was that like right at the end of your career? It was right at the end. I think the last year I went to spring training in 2014, it was, uh, with the Washington nationals and they added basically a defensive guy to really start to, for some reason, finally play where we've seen the spray charts for the last however many years. And, um, you would look at the spray charts and see that the guy is a pool hitter and you would more so anticipate than you would to really move there, may move a step or two. And then now it's, you know, obviously involved, evolved, um, to where they can take you or I and how we move and understand that this is the best case scenario for you to be in this spot, um, that you can move the least amount of distance to, to make a play, um, so, you know, and again, that's another aspect that um, is a part of our daily thing of is starting to really understand what is that angle difference from where you, you are positioned to at contact of where the ball is hit. And if we can minimize that, that angle of you move the least amount of feet to go get a ground ball, uh, then, then we're, we're grading ourselves and judging ourselves on, on that ability. So it's totally different. It's totally wild. I, there was times in my career when I was the third baseman and, and I went out into short, right. Um, to play that <laughs> shift. And, but I did it. I, I, they chose me in that particular spot because I was a second base shortstop and third baseman. And so I already had that versatility that, Hey, let's just use him, send him out instead of maybe moving me to short, moving the shortstop over and the second baseman out. So now we actually have three guys that are in a different spot when we can just take one and send it. So there was times where we started to feel creative in that at the end of my career. And then now it's, um, 
it's almost like a no brainer to, to pick the right person to go and, and play wherever. So more so, I hate to see what the scorecard looks like. You may have, you may have a five, three, but the ball was pulled by a left-handed hitter. So it's interesting for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I really like that. And, and so uh, one of the, one of the things that I neglected to really even think about was, okay, you're over there and the play, the ball's hit to you and you know where to go. But whenever it's not hit to you, now you have to kind of scramble around and you're no longer the third baseman, you're the second baseman. So now you have to cut off a ball from right field to going to third base. Now who's it? And just trying to envision all of those different things because you're no longer in your set position to where you quote unquote play. And you, I just think cuts and relays, it would just be, it was just chaos if you didn't like rep that a thousand different times. And so that was just one of the things that I, that I started to think about with shift. I was like, man, I wonder if they even know where to go if the ball's not hit to them. Is that something that is, did that ever come up? Oh yeah. I mean, that's a big thing we work on is that communication and, you know, setting up those situations to where, yeah, you have three guys on the right side and you just launch a ball down the left field line or the left center field gap. And, you know, how are we reacting? Who, who's going where? And so, yeah, that's a situation where we may draw it up on the whiteboard so they see it there. Then we go out and practice it. And and you, we have to be uh, on top of the fact that we do have utility guys who are playing everywhere that you're going to need to know everywhere you need to be on the field. And, and we need to practice that. And then also understand, you know, what does that look like when, when game time comes? And, and sometimes just because the way a ball reacts in the game, these guys have the situational awareness enough to just communicate it out and, and, and make some things happen just because of that's where the ball was at that particular time with these particular runners. And it may not be exactly how we drew it up, but at the same time, it's, um, you know, you can appreciate the fact that they're, they're playing the game and, and trying to get all the bases covered, but no question. It's a big part of it. Um, you know, just with ground balls in the infield and communication, uh, and then, you know, lining up for those cuts and relays. That's a, we actually had a call about it the other day, just to make sure we were all on the same page going in. Uh, I love that. And I love hearing you work through that. And uh, another part of your, another part of your job is you're evaluating these guys and, and trying to understand what you can do to help them. And you mentioned that earlier in the show. So whenever you're evaluating infielders, again, you played, I, I don't know if you played first, but you played all of the other three positions and you played for a long time. Uh, and, and so I would love to hear your process and how you, how you go about evaluating infielders. Uh, is it back and forth questioning or if you're even, if you're even watching video, uh, I'm sure you use analytics, but just I'd love to hear your, your system and your process for helping those players uh, find the one or two things that they really need to work on on a day-to-day basis. Sure. Um, no question. I think, I think all of us in general, um, no matter who you are, we all have our particular lens or our, our kind of go-to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you talk to scouts, they may be, you know, this is the first thing I look at, or this is the, the first thing I look at. And, and you always have like a default. And I've come to understand that my default is the feet. You know, are we in a position to be able to react? And that's in our pre-pitch and, and, and paying attention and being focused, but are our feet, you know, landing and in our posture at the time to move our feet, 
you know, are we landing and going? And then, you know, cause we're using our feet to get to where we need to go. And we're using our feet to be able to attack the angle at which we need to maybe get a good hop or, or, you know, come and get it on a short hop. And then, you know, to me, the feet set us up to make a throw. So I kind of, I, I started the feet. And then I think for me, the feet are, you know, if we're wide enough, it, it produces where our hands need to be. And if we're moving our feet in the right right ways, then we're attacking the ball at the right angle to get the right hop. And then if we're replacing our feet in a certain way that we're going towards first, then it's going to help us, uh, you know, get a, get a throw off that is as clean as possible. So for me, I go there and I see what, you know, <clears throat> if we're having certain issues, um, whether it's, uh, another default to mine is to talk about the backhand. So if, cause I think I could probably still be working on the backhand for myself to, to this day. Um, but it's like, why are we not getting there? Are we, you know, not getting a good jump and a read on the ball? Um, which in a sense comes to our perception part, which is a next, you know, for me, a big thing is, you know, how well are we seeing it and reacting it, reacting to the ball? Um, because if our perception and we're, we're slower at processing, then once we land and realize we need to go, we may go fast, but it may take us a second or two to, well, not really a second, but that click to tell ourselves when to go. But once we go, are our feet, are our feet getting us there and we put them in the right spot that maybe they're not in the right spot for who you are um, with your backhand. And then, um, you know, where it's not giving you a good posture to be able to feel the ball. So for me, that's where I go. And I work from there and then try to see if ultimately that may help us with, you know, anything from turning a double play is our timing synced up because our feet are moving. Are we, uh, you know, are our throws off because our feet are not aligned or we're, we're, we're throwing across our body. Are we getting the in-between hop because, you know, we're not keeping our feet moving. We, we've stopped them. So for me, I feel um, that that if we can get those uh, worked out in our footwork, then I think it takes care of a lot of other things that follow it. I love it. So one of the one of the things that I think is an interesting interesting debate, especially with the shift now, because you can. You can hide players, I guess, is, is a nice way of putting it. And you can play guys closer to first base that you may not have had playing second base uh, several years ago. And and so one of the one of the discussions that I that I really find intriguing is how do we get certain players to play certain positions? And so you hear the debate all the time with guys that are really big, can they, can they play third base? Like, do they move well enough to be able to do so? Or if they play shortstop, do they have the arm to, they may have everything else, but they may not have the arm. And so are there certain skills that uh, each position has, uh, number one, and then I've got a follow-up question for you after that. So if you, and thinking about, you know, amateur coaches that are in mind that are listening. So you're thinking youth age or high school who are, who have several really good infielders, are there first, or where would you put uh, certain certain skill sets in certain positions, or is it just like let's find our three to four best guys and then let's let's put them in in whatever position we can to to get them all on the field? How would you work through that? That's a good question. That that could go 
several different ways. I think right now, if you look um, in the game with with the shifting, you know, your third baseman can't be your third baseman anymore. That used to be the guy that um, just hit a lot of homers and maybe the bigger dude uh, because in shifts, he's going to have to go play shortstop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're playing that extreme left-handed shift where three guys are on the right side, you know, your third baseman is moving to that shortstop position. So you're asking him now that we, we need you to be a shortstop. Um, so that's in particular, like you, you got to make sure you're hitting him ground balls at short, turning double plays because um, he's going to now be active in that area. So, you know, the lens is starting to really change on, how are we doing this? And now is it even a sense where, okay, this is who we have in our organization and he may not be able to play that short, but you know what, we'll put him on the other side um, and kind of be that second baseman because there's another guy there where his range doesn't have to be as, as big as a shortstop, but um, you know, with the second baseman now there, he, he can cover that area and the shortstop stays. So I think you'd look to see who you are, but if we can get them as athletic as we possibly can and move them around and give them the feel, um, I'm a big believer on that. I don't know if that's because I think it helped me um, understand just the game and and know what you're getting at each position, but to also be able to allow your team to play those positions and play those shifts, it's big to try to make your guys as athletic as possible. Um and honestly, like if, if, and I say that's deep because I get to my, my 13 U team and, you know, there's a lot of questions that they're ready. They're ready to start playing certain positions and we've just got to the big field. And, and to me, we play everybody in the infield and outfield. We'll switch them every two innings um, mm-hmm. to be able to learn the game because you know what, my son, he, he, he's, he hasn't started to develop yet. And he's 12. And so there's a lot of guys like that, that I can't tell you what they're going to be. They're still going to be growing and we still get, you know, young guys at 17, 18 that are still growing and maturing that we're trying to predict who they're going to be. But it's hard for me because in a year from now, you know, heck, I know my son's not going to grow six inches, but he could. And that's going to change the dynamic of who he is and, and, by right now spending the time and learning those positions, I think that's going to help build a foundation for these guys. And that's where I get scared where, you know, the youth and and the amateur world. So worried about winning that you're playing short, you're staying short. um, And nobody else is getting that opportunity because for me, I didn't start playing shortstop till I was 13, 14 years old. Um, I was fast enough to play outfield, but then when we went to the big field, I no longer could do it. The shortstop was really fast, so we switched. And then I ended up getting to play shortstop till I was 40. So I live and die on that idea of it's hard, but let's try to make them as athletic as possible to predict who they can be. And and ultimately, I think they're going to show us where they need to be. Um, but nowadays, we're trying to train our corner guys uh, to be as athletic as our, our middle guys. And then um, – and then kind of go from there because we're going to expect a lot of them in the infield. I hope that answers your question, but it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely a more dynamic, dynamic uh, activity these days in the infield. 
No, for sure. And, and I, it's, it was a really hard question to answer because I, I could give you specific examples and maybe, you know, and we could, but it's just with that, with it being that broad of a, of a question, I think you absolutely nailed it. And I, I I'm going to love getting into some of your, some of your stuff with, with the amateur players, because I think that's, it's so neat to be able to see you coach 13 and under kids and then coach big leaguers. And so it, it's going to be a fun conversation to be able to have with those today. But I do want to just kind of retouch that for just a second with the skills for certain positions. And so you mentioned when they get to 13, 14, maybe even in high school, you don't know what they're going to be the next year because they're going to show up <laughs> and they may have grown six inches or gained 20 pounds. And you're like, man, you OK, let's let's move over to third or, or something like that or first. And so I, I want to know, though, so you get these guys that are either newly drafted and they even they change a ton. So you're getting 16, 17, 18 year old Latin kids who may do the same thing or college kids, the same thing. And so do you find that there are some skills that are innate that you, that you really can't teach because like Andrelton Simmons, like I, <laughs> like, I, I don't know if I could ever, if you could give me unlimited amount of time with a player and I don't know if I could ever teach some of the skills that he has. But I would love to hear your thoughts on, are there some things that guys just have by the time they get to a certain age or even, you know, even to college age or, and then also what are some that you have found that are teachable? So some that you've been like, Hey, with perception action coupling, and then repping these things out with block practice every single day, we were able to improve this or that. So long story short, are there some skills that you feel like are really, really like, I don't want to say impossible to teach but they're, they're really built in by the time they get to 20 plus years old. And then what are some that maybe you've been able to help, help players overcome and get better at? Well, I, I, I think, you know, some of the things that when you are observing somebody that may be younger that you're like, wow, man, like this guy, whew, he can flat out pick it. It's just their ability to, um, you know, read the hops to be able to put themselves in a position to get that ball on the way down or, or come and pick it, you know, right off that short hop, they're doing a very good job of not getting in between and, you know, they look comfortable with it. It's like, you know, for us with the pirates, Cabrian Hayes, I always say he makes me look like the best fungo hitter ever because for you <laughs> hitting him fungo and I can't, I can't hit him a bad one. He just, he has his great ability to move his feet and catch the ball in the right spot. And, to me, I'm just like, wow, like it's impressive that you're able to so young. Now, Cabrian's been around the game for a long time with his dad playing. So I think there's a lot that uh, you know goes into that um, and, and how many ground balls he has seen in his life. Uh, so but I, I think I think there are things like that, like the ability to just catch the ball um and, and feel comfortable in doing that where it's automatic. You know, I try to look at, uh, my son asked me like, how do I, how do I judge if the other team that we're getting ready to play, we've never seen is going to be good or not. And I say, I watch them play catch. And if they're really thinking about catch, like really having to watch the ball, then it's not automatic for them yet. They, they, they cannot now put their focus out into the game as much as you're ready. I go, when I see that and I feel that, then I think, uh Oh, you know, uh, this is going to be a pretty good team because they're going to catch the ball. Uh, their fear of failure and that has, they've moved beyond it. And um, 
So I think even with that, like there's some kids that are just catching and, and, and doing things a little better, a little earlier. And, you know, my goal is to try to, to get that with these young guys. So I think there's some things that, um, just in the ability to, with hand-eye coordination, uh, they're able to move on to things, um, when others aren't ready. And so, but I think there's ability to catch up. Um, we've seen every kid that everybody's had growing up that was six foot at the age of 12, probably Duncan. And then by the time you got to your senior year in high school, he was still six foot and you all caught up with him. And now you're all playing at a level. You got the kid who's 12 years old, throwing 75 off the mound. And now all of a sudden we're in high school and he's, he's the third, fourth pitcher, um, because everybody catches up. So I believe there's a lot that can be trained. Um, physically, I believe there's a lot that can be improved upon. Um, but at the same time, I think there are limitations of just who we are as far as our, the way we're built. Um, you can only take your mobility. Some guys so far, you can only have so much strength so far. And I think that in time, those become the separators, those become the separators in minor league baseball, uh, you know, your ability to, to focus or, um, to be able to react as you go up to higher levels, level by level, the game, you know, they say gets faster. Um, but meaning like the movements need to be faster. The balls are hit a little harder. The guys are running a little faster. Everything's a little crisper. And that's where you start to have separation. And, um, you get to a point that I think you can improve, but is it enough to ultimately get you over? And that's what we do every day in the minor leagues is try to see if we can find that. Um, and we work at it and, and find new ways to train it. But I definitely think guys start quicker. And my only thing is, is when those guys start quicker or have a better idea of it is, is to not take it for granted, but keep teaching them. Um, because sooner or later, somebody's going to be standing right next to him caught up. So, um, that's really good. Yeah. So with, with you being a dad and, uh, again, you see, you get to see 13 and under players and, and you get to see, you know, high school age kids and, and all of these different tournaments all the time. And you've also, you get, uh, and so this one would be more geared towards like your incoming draft class or your free agents or, or guys that you're first working with, uh, for the, you know, after they, after they sign in some capacity and you're going through all of the different things and you've noticed potential trends that a lot of amateur players have that you wish was taught earlier. And so for an example, uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was players not looking in to see what the sign is, like the, the sign that the catcher's putting down so they could potentially have a an extra step on where the ball might be based on you know who the hitter is and where it's going to go. And so that was one thing I was like, man, I, I can't believe that that wasn't talked about with you know, some of the players that, that we saw last year. So that was interesting, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on what can uh, player or coaches who are coaching amateur infielders, what can they do a better job of teaching? So not necessarily that you don't have to, but you think that that could set them apart and you think that that would help the player immensely. Yeah. I, you, you hit a great one right out of the shoot. You know, that's just something that, you know, I've learned in my position and, and getting to play for um, a while and then coming back and, and, and being in this position to uh, teach 
is that that was a lot of things I have I, I took for granted I haven't thought about in a long time is is understanding you know the first sign after two or knowing what pitch is coming I mean there's been many times I'm like are you looking in to see and um and then you're amazed that they're not and they're not anticipating so that is a big thing that uh is a part of it is is thinking along inside the game like that and, and trying to anticipate um you know what pitches coming so I can start to cheat before it even happens and there's been times in my career where you know I've looked in and gone uh oh and turn around to the umpire and been like be be ready you know <laughs> here it comes and um but a lot of times I pride myself on thinking is this going to be a slider and and they call it and I'm just like oh yeah like it's definitely coming this way so just really paying attention to that and really learning, you know, swings and, and the pitches that your pitcher has and what, what does that produce? You know, it's, it's, can you teach your infielders to, to observe the swing or when a ball gets past you think, think in the way of, you know, how did I not read that? Right. You know, that this guy swing with that pitch, how, how was I, how did I miss it? You know, I felt like if I dove for a ball, then I, I had a misread before the pitch even happened. Um, but that, I mean, that is a, a big part of it. I think one thing that we really notice on, on the draft guys that come in and um, more and more colleges these days are playing on turf. And now we don't have many turf fields in, in the minor leagues. And so um, there's a new way of reading the balls and understanding the, you know, the way the ball is bouncing off of grass and into dirt and that there's, there's particular parts of the dirt that can cause a bad hop. And so um, that's a learning curve for a lot of guys where we could wait back and field a ball. And, and now it's, it's a whole, it's a totally different uh, aspect of it. Um, so that's a big thing that we have to get them going is to be more aggressive and, and have some rhythm um, to first base, you know, instead of just stopping and catching because it got the to you a little faster is can we practice that, that rhythm and that anticipation and still coming and getting the ball because everybody's playing on turf. Um, my younger brother at the, the university, they got turf and I met the AstroTurf guy and I told him, thank you. You're, you've created job security for me. And, you know, and, I, and I get that. I mean, my brother, they need it. They need to be able to play games and they get a lot of games right down. I think it's great. Um, but, you know, in a roundabout way, it's, it, it gives us tasks at the beginning is to uh, help them with that. But really, to me, it's just really thinking the game, playing the game um, in that regard. The game inside the game uh, is, I think, a part that's not te- taught and communicating with your teammates and, you know, after plays or after the inning. Uh, I know a lot of guys now play on travel teams where they go to showcase tournaments and, you know, I'm one player that's coming in playing for this team and then I'm out. Um, we have to teach them how to be teammates, how to, uh, you know, communicate with each other and rely on each other and really pay attention to what each other's strengths are. If I know my third baseman goes good to his left, I may not have to play in the hole as much. And so really paying attention to those kind of things and, and who your teammates are and um, is something that we really have to spend some time on and educating them. But 
definitely, uh, if we can start doing some shift work deeper in the hole, stuff like that that gets them ready for, um, just some different angles in the way we train. I'm sure we're going to talk about that, but even, even the ways that we, we train now, um, you know, past the block training that really, I think is a good way to, to catch up to a lot of skills. I really like that a lot. And, and I want to just to rewind just a little bit before we get into the, the skills and drills and, and all of those things. And let's talk a little bit about teaching the game within the game. And I, 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 a friend of mine has this theory to where we're losing players early because it's boring. And I, you know, he feels very strongly on the, if we can teach the game within the game, like you're talking about and teaching just the, the way that we almost teaching them how to think like a coach and to see everything that's going on, then it won't be as boring for them. And, and ever since he said that, I started thinking about it and I was like, man, that would, you know, that's, that's kids are usually they're they're fading out in between pitches especially younger kids and they're not understanding what's going on or or what what's something that i could say here what's something that could happen here and just going through that and and some guys do just because they truly love it and some guys don't don't because they don't know how to and they don't know that the game within the game and they've never been taught to even think like that and so i'd love to hear how you're going about uh, going over this with with your with your son's group and just kind of some different things that you're teaching those guys to look for to see uh to to work on to think about and just all of that either you know in between pitches or or just during the game itself yeah no doubt uh it, it you know we identified there's you know 12 to 15 seconds in between pitches and so um what we ask of our team is you know, number one, what do I do if the ball's hit to me? And then number two, where do I go if the ball's not hit to me? And, you know, that's where we're trying to start and teaching them, especially them moving to the big field is to have an understanding of um, where to go and be in the right spots to what we call eliminate the snowball fights, eliminate the balls being just turned around and thrown everywhere. Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of time on the little league fields of telling them, even though they can throw it from left field to second base with no problems to hit your cutoff man. And, um, you know, we're talking about playing catch and the reasons why is then when we get out on the field, after we played uh, catch and getting loose one day and I, um, I walked them around the field. I was like, you know, when they were in the little league and we were, we, we practiced on a big field and I had to meet me at third. And I'm like, you just long tossed from a distance. And I was like, could you say that it's where I'm at right now at third base and there's first base. Is that as far as you long tossed? And they're like, yeah. And I go, well, this is your regular play next year. And so we walked to each position and then we walked to the outfield and I'm like, who can throw it to second from here? And I'm like, so do you understand why cutoff hitting our cutoffs is important. And then it's like, that's why we need to play catch that it's important to hit the next guy. So he can turn around and hit the next guy. And so we tried to build it up in that way. So now when we're in these positions um, and we're working on stuff at practice, you know, it's just simply asking questions of, you know, why would I want you here? Um, or why would you be there? 
and to start talking through it. And then also put in a situation that, you know, we have a pitcher who, you know, throws the ball inside to everybody and it's a right-handed hitter, you know, more than likely where's this ball going to go. And so you're trying to teach them to understand that where I can use my job in analytics, that 90% of the ground balls by right-handed hitters are, are pulled. And so be ready for that when you have a right-handed hitter. So start thinking about that. And, um, and we try to build off of what happened, the mistake, or if it went well, like see where you're at, learn from why you're there and how the ball came to you. And if it didn't, then where did the ball go and where should you have been? Where would you be next time? Instead of just trying to really, you know, me seeing that I have a good feeling this guy's going to hit it there just via my experience and start moving everybody, I'm willing to sacrifice that mistake, that two runs to, to go in where a ball gets past our shortstop because he's holding the runner when he shouldn't be. I need that experience to happen because if I take that away from him and I tell him where to be, then he's never going to learn. And so they truly have to, I feel that's where you're going to learn more from is, and that's where they say, learn from our mistakes. And I believe it. Um, And so that we use those scenarios and then we start, you know, talking about things and the game within the game and picking guys off and why you're doing this and why you're doing that and who you can use. You can use the third baseman to help you with first base. So then it starting to say all these little things that's going on that you don't see on TV. Um, I think, you know, when I'd say you can use your third baseman for the pickoff, then the third baseman feels like, Oh, I have more worth here. Mm-hmm. And, and they become more involved and they get more excited. Um, and so, you know, then my coaches are like, how do we do this? And so it, then it's fun. It's fun because there's a lot more going on. And besides just the boring old game of baseball, which, you know, I can't argue with people. I, I get it sometimes. No, I absolutely love that. And, and again, thank, you're for me, I feel like you're freeing them up to have fun and play fearlessly almost. Well, that's what we would love. I mean, that I, I think, <clears throat> you know, I, I I played the game with a lot of anxiety and stress, no question about it. I, I was out to um, prove them wrong or fight back uh, or, you know, when it, when it went right, I was happy and I was like mad because I got them. But then I uh, would fight back when it didn't happen. And I want, and now I'm in the game because I want to play as authentically and as free as possible. And we talk about, you know, risking and making mistakes, but we have to, as coaches, really give them that environment. You know, if we want a kid to, to learn how to steal bases better, then we're in a game and we tell him to steal and then he steals at some crazy time and he gets thrown out. Well, we can't, we can't jump on him then. Cause then now we're going to take that fear away. And so then that's just my time to talk to you and ask you questions and learn about the situation more than, than your steel jump. But if we're asking these guys to risk, then I can't penalize you. If you're showing me that you're giving me the effort, I'll penalize you if the effort's not there because that's one of our non-negotiables. 
but I can, I'm not going to penalize you for something that you're trying to do and see if you can improve on. And that's a big, that's, you know, that's a, that's a thing you try to do. And for me, if it's not happening for the player, I've got to first go, okay, what am I doing? That's, that's not explaining this right. What are, how are they not getting it? It must be the way I'm saying it or displaying it or demonstrating it. So I'm going to figure it out first before I just finally, you know, cause fear in a player not to, you know, not to make a mistake. I, I don't want that. And that's a, that's one of the biggest things for me is I want them to play as free as possible. Even these guys in the minor leagues that are coming in, even in the big leagues, like I want you to play as free and authentically as possible. And, um, and truly just, let's just get better by the things that we can build on and learn from. So. Oh, that's really good. And I love, I love hearing that. Have you always been this self-reflective or did you start doing that whenever you started to get into coaching? Um, I was always very, very aware of things going on around me. And, you know, I think I would, I always tell everybody I had a, I have a master's in reading body language and that was only to, to try to find ways to be better and not screw up. You know, I'd take a round of batting practice and be, and look over and be like, okay, that must've been a good round. And so I always had this ability to, to understand my surroundings, but then, you know, I, I started to learn that, um, how to use this in a, in a, in a better way. And, and so, and, you know, you had Dr. Bass on, uh, not long ago, and he's been very instrumental in, in understanding our position as a coach. He's really helped me with that and how to have a lens of, uh, the player in front of me. And, um, you know, cause we've talked about how I felt and how I dealt with it and how I, I don't want that for a player okay, well, that can look like this. And it starts with um, observing yourself and understanding, you know, how you may be saying something, how you're standing. So I, I after everything we do, I mean, I run it through my own filter probably, probably too many times. Um, I'll leave a practice wondering. And now I have no problem asking, how was that drill? Did you like it? I thought it was going to look like this. What can we do to make it better? I had no problem being vulnerable in that situation. Um, and so I think it helps me and I think it helps them. And I think it helps us in overall building our relationship to work together. So no, I really like that. And, uh, I, I definitely encourage, uh, the listeners, if they haven't listened to Dr. Bass, his, his episode was, was fantastic. And he actually put us in touch, which I really do appreciate. And he did want me, this may be a little bit of, you know, he, he wants to hear your, your thoughts on this, but he did want me to ask you about the sports psych side. And it, and it seems like you've put a lot of thought into it. And so how have you been able to take your, take your, just your, your experience as a, as a elite player and been able to use that and what you've learned, you know, from Dr. Bass and, and, and uh, Doc Holliday and all of those guys from the sports psych side and really merge it into how you're, how you're coaching guys every day. But mainly how have you taken them and, and they're not just, they don't just teach theory, you know, they teach obviously th stuff that works, but you're also a, a former elite player. And so you've gotten to see both sides of, Hey, I did this as a player. 
you guys are talking about this as as sports psychologists, and then I'm able to take both of those and and you know invest this into the player. What are some different things that you have been able to to take from both sides and and you know put into the players that you're working with every day? Yeah, oh, great question, and that is a Dr. Bass question for sure. Um, so what what they what what I have learned and what I've tried to take my experience and and being a player is when I have conversations with um, Dr. Bass or you know any of our mental conditioning coaches, um, I always look back at my career and think, when, when did this take place? And, and then I'd sit there and be able to understand, Ooh, that's when I was going good. Or that's when I had a good season or that's when I had a kind of a bad season or a bad run. Um, and so that really started it. And to me, that helped me make sense of it all to be able to put it into my own life and, Therefore, then I can turn around and be like, okay, if I was feeling this as a player because this is a way I was being coached, then these guys are across from me are, are the same. And so I think, you know, as a big example is like internal or external focus. Um, when I really started to get a grasp of that and looking back and be like, yeah, man, I mean, the years I kind of hit well, the, the hitting coach always gave me targets to go at. He ne I never was like internal with any mechanic. And then the other years I'm like, yeah, I mean, I worked on my back leg drive forever and I, I could never get, you know, my front side strong. So I can remember the words that came associated with these seasons. And so that was just even more buy-in for myself. And so then they've done a really good job of, given me words to feelings and given me the science to feelings or, or experiences that I've had. And then I've tried to turn around and go, boom, I'm going to use that. Um, and then we've, we've, we've started to work together. It's just like, if I need to explain why we're doing this, which I think is extremely valuable uh, for players. Um, and it's something that's not traditional. Um, I have no problem. Dr. Bass, come on out here. Okay, here's what we're looking to do. Here's why. And then here's why it's going to help you. And, you know, an example of that is, is we'll use softballs, baseballs, and um, little mini baseballs that are just as hard as a baseball for towel training. And, you know, we learn miles per hour. You know, our brain sees things by the size of them. Like if you and I are getting across the street and a car was coming, we'd be able to, our brain is judging how big that car is getting as it's coming to us. And if we feel like, man, it's coming to us bigger and bigger and bigger, we've put mile per hour on it. Like that thing is coming fast. So we won't cross the street. Um, so that's how we judge things. And then for us to work that muscle with a baseball that comes at us, we're going to get something that's bigger and smaller and then also something the same in a baseball and hit you ground balls with it um, to feel those different sizes. So your eyes can work that particular muscle. So then when you got regular ground balls coming at you all the time, it seems a little slower, seems a little simpler. And, you know, to me, that's, that's learning, you know, from somebody that's learned the brain and, and the sports psych of it all um, mashing all those together and to really 
you know, helping the player out um, has been fun. I mean, I, I love it. I can't get enough of it. And I keep telling, telling them like, when you have something or something else comes like, you know, you better come knocking on this door because we'll, we'll try to put it in play. And that's where I'm fortunate to have a 13U team because little did they realize that they're the, they're the little science lab um, trying some things before I, I bring them out. But, um, but it's awesome. I mean, they, they, you know, the external focus, internal focus is just one. And then the motor learning part of the Tau training is just another one. But, um, but to the, the sports psych is, is huge. Um, and I, and I love everything about it. So you're saying, is it towel training? Whoa. Towel training? about that besides the different balls uh, and, and explain you know what towel training is because I'm, I'm really intrigued by this yeah that's where your your eyes adjust to and 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 predict miles per hour by the size of something coming at you or going away you know it's like that car now it's past us and as we see it it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller so we know um it's going away from us. So if we can train by how a baseball comes at us, that we see if it's coming at us faster, then it's getting bigger. Um, and so that's how we can move our feet to be able to judge miles per hour, to be able to judge how to catch it. So we'll get those three size baseballs and hit fungos at different speeds. So their eyes are seeing different. Um, you know, almost in a sense, an overtraining of, of with a softball and an undertraining um, with the little baseball to uh, to work that muscle to be able to prepare better for, um, you know, judging a regular baseball coming at us in a game. So okay. uh, it gets, we get we get some funky looks, but I think if and I you know, and this is why I always bring uh, Doctor Bass out there to explain it probably a little bit cleaner than I than I can, but. Um, if we get them to understand that principle and they think, oh, this is going to help me, then let's, let's, let's break them out all day long. And, and guys have really started to adapt to it. And, um, and that's, that's being able to be, uh, understanding of the principle and, um, and to me totally makes sense. And so let's do it, you know, let's see what kind of feedback we get. Fantastic. Is there any other and you've you've gotten to really see the transition transition from when you played and you started uh, in minor league baseball to now to where it's it's shifted a lot. And are there any other ways that you've really started to blend that that science side and the and the tech side with the art uh, that you learned growing up and and that you're continuing to? Because I I think coaching is an art and a science. We have to take scientific principles and blend them with the art that we use and the art of communication and of teaching and all of these things. Is there any other ways that you've, that you've been able to do that? And I'm sure there's multiple, but I'd love to hear one or even a few, if you don't mind. Yeah. I, I think a big one that and you had, you had said the words earlier were earlier block training compared to random training. Um, I think there's, there's time for them all. Um, but what we're learning is, is your block training is your feel good training is, um, you know, a good way as a warm up decrement. Like 
if we get down on our, our knees and we're working on some short hops, um, if we have a 10 minute time frame, always before that may be five minutes of our 10 minutes. Well, now it, it, it's only should be one minute because it's not really giving us anything that's going to really prep us for a game. Um, cause then, you know, in, in the way we learn is, you know, you need some sort of stimulus to be able to identify the action. Um, you have a response to that and then you move. And so that's how a game is. You have this A, B, and C type of activity coming at you that you're trying to understand your environment. And some of the block training may only train the A and the C. And so then when we're just taking ground balls that we know are coming at us, that we are going to know that maybe even going to our forehand or going to our backhand, we're not really training that in a game, I don't know if a ball is coming to me and I'm going to have to react. So there's parts of it that, yeah, we may need to slow it down and work on the backhand to get the feel of it. But what we ultimately need to do is put them in a fire of as close to game-like like we can to train all three to be able to be ready for how we react in the game. That if we're training for those pregame, then when game comes, we're not all of a sudden going to go, oh, where did where did part B come from? We haven't seen that in months. So we're really pulling back and saying, okay, we're going to give you a few minutes of the feel good. And then, you know, our hitting a drop ball, which there's a coach that's flipping to us and we're taking a normal swing as the fungo guy, that the player can see the ball in flight, see the hitter take a full swing and the way the ball comes off the bat is going to be more like a game than it is I'm tossing it up and hitting a fungo. So we're getting timing and rhythm. Um, and then we're getting the ability to get the reads off, off the bat. Now we may have to slow it back down and say, okay, we've gone too fast, too far. Let's give him a few feel good to get some rhythm to see where he needs to catch it. But then we're going to go back. I think that's been a big transition um, besides we get a lot of guys who come in from college that are used to a hundred ground balls in 10 minutes and we'll do our drop ball situation to where we may just have a third baseman, but to make it better, we'll put a shortstop. So now they don't know which one is going to get the ground ball. We may get less physical ground balls, but we're getting just as many mental reps as in anticipation seeing that swing and seeing that swing with that ball in that particular zone is going to third and not me. So my, I'm learning anticipation. Um, I'm not just going, well, I don't have to anticipate this because it's coming to me. So there's that always that element that we can be training towards the game. And then to make it even better, we'll add a second baseman and to make it the, as best as we possibly can, we got our first baseman. So the, the ability for now are our college guys to come in to understand that I may not get a hundred ground balls, but I got really good work. Mm -hmm. And I really got, cause in games, we don't get a hundred ground balls. You know, when you go play golf, you, you hit the ball, it's a bad shot. You drop the next one and you hit it good. When's that ever happened in golf? Right. Um, we've already learned part of what we're supposed to anticipate. So now we don't have, we're just fixing one aspect of it instead of in real world, it's all three aspects. So 
we're really trying to gravitate towards that and get the player to understand that um, it's more about the mental preparation, the reaction, and seeing how you respond in that reaction to train than just doing your staple, we're going to go do this and you work through it and there's less um, decision-making as a part of it. So, no, I really like that a lot. Do you ever get, especially you're working with guys who, you know, they're literally in a lot of cases, it is a job for them and their jobs are on the line. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get any pushback from trying new things like that? Sure we do. And I think when I think of that, when I think of feedback like that, I think then I'm not explaining it well enough. And so I got to find a different way um, to explain it or I may have a player come out and I ask, what do you want to work on today? And he tells me something that may not exactly be the thing that I think he needs to be working on. And I'll say, okay, I'll give you some of that, but Hey, I was doing this drill the other day. I think it may be helpful for you. So I'll give you some of what you want. And then let's just try this at the end and see what you think. And so they're going, oh, sweet. You know, I got to do mine. Sure. I'll give them, I'll, I'll check to see what he has. And so then I'll, I'll do the drill that may be new or different. And then I'll just simply ask him, like, you know, how was that? What'd you have on that? Um, I really think this helped this for you uh, in my observation or, Hey, which part of this do you think what you did or what we just did get, is going to get you better, better ready for that game at seven o'clock and then allow them to, to think about it and then go, all right, it's something to build on, you know, and then the next time we come out, we'll start building on that. And we know that it's not just going to be a, Hey, boom, we're going to switch it. Um, but if we connect why it's helping them and then allow them to see it and then work through it and discuss it with them, then I think we're going to have a better opportunity to, um, to change it. Cause ultimately the world we live in, we need to know why we're doing something and how it's going to help us. And, and are you, do you care enough about him to find out why we're doing this for him to get him better? And you have that combination. I think, um, you can get that shift a little bit better than what we may normally get. I love that. I love that explanation too. So with that, uh, I've got a couple of quick hitter questions that, I, that I'd love to hit you with before we go. And the first one is, what's something that you've learned lately that you were really excited about? I'm really excited about doing competition drills, uh, game drills that have the player doing what they need to do and learning what they need to do without them feeling like they're doing it. Um, it's something I'm really looking forward to uh, doing and adding more in. It's just creating competition and creating games that they're having some fun, um, yet absolutely getting after it. And they don't realize how well they're getting after it until we talk about it afterwards and how well they're getting their skills that they need to get. Okay. It may be the lightning section, but you've, you've caught my interest. Can you give us an example? So I think like if I, if I say for infielders, um, we are, I put a bucket on first base and I put a net behind it and however many times we hit the bucket, we're competing against each other. Um, 
you know, may get something, but the net behind it is also, Hey, I miss, but this net is still the first base's range of getting it. But they all want to hit a bucket that's on top of a trash can at first base and, um, and they compete against each other. I mean, that's just something simple. And I'm going to put a time on them because I know if they're going to take their time to really try to get a good throw off, they're going to take too much time and the runner's going to be safe. So I'm going to tell them it's a four, three runner. So we're going to hit a ground ball and they're going to come get it. And then we're going to work on our throws. So that's just one way that they're going to work on their throws in the heat of the moment and also get some fun reward out of it. And I'll even let them pick who, who wins and, or what, what happens when they win. Um, we did a competition the other night, hitting wise, you hit it between these lines, between the groups, whoever has the most. Um, and I put the lines in gap to gap and they started to really drive the ball. We were pulling off the ball bigger in life and trying to pull everything and be all cool guy hitting homers. And, um, so I gave them this task, asked them if they wanted to compete and, you know, they got to, they, they got to pick the points system. And then at the end of the day, they got to choose what the penalty was. And, uh, I think the penalty for them was the losers had to run to center field and back. And the winners just thought it was the greatest thing known to mankind, but we worked on staying through the ball, really getting some backspin, really driving the ball and not pulling off. So that is what I'm looking to hopefully start building on. And I'm excited with some of our coaches and our ideas that we're going to continue to build on that. Oh, that's great. Next question after the excited question, what is something that you've changed your mind about either since you played or recently? There's no one way to fill the ground ball. I used to think you had to do everything you could to use two hands to get in front of the ball. And it was quickly brought to my attention that then how would I tell Clint Barmas to fill the ground ball who fills every ground ball with one hand. And I started to realize it's more about where you catch it instead of how you catch it. And then start to really appreciate how everybody's different. And they have their own ways of doing things, um, even with hitting, like, or you're a ready position. Your, your stance is different, but as long as you get to where you need to go, so that's what I say with the ready position. It can be different, but as long as you're getting to where you need to go, then you can be different. So not everybody is a traditional way. I've learned that a lot since I started coaching. No doubt. I'm sure we could spend an entire episode over things that we've learned since we started coaching, huh? Sure. No doubt. And then finally, it's whenever, you know, people are listening to this show, they, or any show in general, they love to hear what books you're reading or what books have uh, positively affected your life. So they don't necessarily have to be baseball specific, but if you could buy one book for every person that's listening to us that you knew would make an impact on them, what book would that be? I just read this book. It's a, like a 50, 60 pager. It's called Keep Chopping Wood by Kevin DeShazo. I hope I say his name right. It's just about doing the process, trusting the process. You know, the, the, the little analogy in it was you chop wood now and you let it sit because chop the wood that you're cutting down now is wet and it needs to dry out. So you're chopping the wood now for the fire later. So it's the work you're putting in now 
for the payoff later. And it's the process, you know, as my wife would say, it's grain by grain. So keep chopping wood, I think really pertains to anything that we're doing in life is to keep trusting the process and doing the little things day by day. Um, so you're ready for that fire when it comes. I love that. And so finally, uh, I'm going to mute myself and just let, let you talk to our listeners and, and just kind of leave them with some parting notes, if you will. So uh, is there anything else that you'd like to tell them before you go? Sure. I think a big thing that I'd love for us to tell our youth is it's not what they do. It's just, it's, it's just what they do. It's not who they are. Um, they're playing this game. I think we're getting caught up in making a job of this game at a very young age and they get caught up that who they are, how they play is all a direct reflection of how much they're going to be loved. And, um, I, I see it, I see it in my own team that a good game or a bad game is going to determine the mood of their families and what dinner is going to be like that night. And I would just really hope that parents are proud of who their kids are for what they're doing, but it's not who they are. Um, I think it's a, a, a big separation that can really happen is a lot of kids are going out and playing to make their, their family and their mom and dad proud. And, and first and foremost, I want them to play to make themselves proud and then the rest takes care of itself. So they do the work to make themselves proud. They're not doing the work uh, to make mom and dad happy. Um, they're not getting four hits in a game and that's going to make mom happy. And I go, oh, for four, I'm scared to ride home with dad in the car. I just wish that we could truly have that understanding that um, regardless of what happens, they're going to be loved and that you're there to support them. That is a, a big foundational problem I see in the youth. And I really wish that uh, we could start trending in the other direction. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.